So they were turning after all, those cameras. Life, which can be strangely merciful, had taken pity on Norma Desmond. The dream she had clung to so desperately had enfolded her. I'm too happy. Mr. DeMille, do you mind if I say a few words? Thank you. I just want to tell you all how happy I am to be back in the studio, making a picture again. You don't know how much I've missed all of you. And I promise you I'll never desert you again. Because after Salome, we'll make another picture and another picture. You see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. cameras and those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would a review make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. This is episode number 170, Sunset Boulevard. Uh, Much like the subject of our last episode, something that I hadn't really ever watched until this past year. Watching it for this episode was the second time I had watched it, but I only watched it for the first time probably six months ago. People just openly revolting against our Two podcast at this point black and white movies back 1946 back. now sunset boulevard 1950 i don't care what Two, are we doing two movies that hold up though i think yeah well sunset boulevard is such an important movie it's a great movie and i think people who haven't seen it maybe don't get why but Number one, it's a movie about Hollywood, which is, of course, Hollywood's favorite subject. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's movies about itself. You can definitely see at the inspiration for like David Lynch, who we obviously both like as well. Yes, one of David Lynch's favorite movies. But um, it's just the obsession with fame that still rings true. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, yeah, of course, the modes of fame and the styles of fame and where the fame comes from might be different in 2019 but the idea is still the same yeah totally and you can still totally believe these characters and and see 
a modern day equivalent. Now it would be like an Instagram influencer would <laughs> be Instagram like the older hoe. lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she used to have like the best butt on Instagram <laughs> and now like has zero followers. Okay, for our listeners, they know to follow the show at Greatest Pod on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. Give us a rating and review. Oh, sure. This episode should be coming out New Year's Eve. We're ending 2019 strong. I'm sure everyone's waiting with bated breath for our best of 2019. Two-part, maybe give us a second series. Scramble to get it together. But for people who have been longtime listeners of the show, they know it takes us (laughs) a little while to see all these movies. Well, plus We We don't get those screeners. We like it to be around the time of the Oscars. Well, like, ideally, right? I would like to do it by the end of the year, but we're just not in that situation. Yeah. We don't get screeners. <laughs> we don't get. I don't know. I, I all these kind of like timing here. it up with the Oscars. I feel like it's yeah, it's not know. bad. Okay, it's okay. Another thing I think probably that's come into my life more because we do this podcast. Billy Wilder wasn't really part of my. I don't think I had seen any of his movies. Yeah, this until, is basically film school for Matt. Yeah, it is. Until we watched The Apartment, I think that was the first time. Now I'm like, I'm in the fan club, you know. The Apartment, this, Some Like It Hot. Double Indemnity. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. But A lot of entries in the AFI Top 100, a lot of Oscar nominations and wins. Billy Wilder, one of the great Absolutely. directors of all time. I'm 100% in. And you can recognize a certain tone and familiarity within the dialogue of Sunset oh, Boulevard yeah. to the apartment. There's sure. some you can definitely get a sense of a style. Yeah. Maybe it's a little too in your face with how well written it is, but it does jump out to you. Yeah, there's always a, a, a cutesiness to Wilder's scripts that sometimes was criticized by certain critics as being too cute for its own good sometimes. Yeah. But I mean, that's just the same thing. I mean it's a, it's personal preference because you could it's say like the Aaron same Sorkin. thing. Yeah, I mean, Sorkin has a style. Or you could say, like, visually, Wes Anderson has a style. Right, and, like, yeah. you understand what his movies look like or whatever. And different auteurs or different writers have different aesthetics and different ways of presenting things and different ways of writing. Yeah. And that's just their style. Right. I also feel like this idea of sort of being critical of Hollywood and quasi-love letter at the same time is something that has been repeated throughout history. And well, I mean, at the time, this was seen as scandalous by some within the industry because it was too real. Oh, yeah, and right. And too pulling the curtain back and being too mean in a way. Yeah, well, I think in particular, the part where Norma goes to visit the set and, like, DeMille, this the way that he's acting. and I mean, I think, like, he's doing his best with, like, a bad situation. But it well, is yeah, like he's definitely treating her with respect and dignity, but yeah. he doesn't really know how to handle it because it's too awkward. Right, but <laughs> I do think that there is like a lot of realness to that scene. Sure. Oh um, yeah, definitely. Which I do love too. The you know the get me a telephone and get me Gordon Cole. This is also one of the first great movies to deal in meta. There's so much meta oh, yeah, at play right. in this movie that it's it's off the charts. It's actually for somebody that was probably old enough in 1950 to remember the silent era and to be familiar with a lot of the people and the faces and the things going on in the movie, it had to be almost confusing and jarring because nothing like that yeah, had probably ever happened before. And as we go through, we'll kind of explain what we're talking about. But 
well it's, even it's a different I, see, way of doing something i didn't know like these people like obviously i don't know people from the 50s but for me just paying attention to the end credits and you're like oh there's like six people in this movie that are playing themselves yeah Sunset Boulevard, 1950, directed by Billy Wilder, written by Wilder with Charles Brackett and D.M. Marshman. Love the Jr. score, too, when it kicks in right in the beginning where it's doing the opening credits. It was nominated for 11 Oscars. I think it only won three. Came out the same year as All About Eve, so tough year oh, wow. yeah. for movies. Rough beat for Sunset Boulevard. Maybe would have won more Oscars if it had come out a year earlier or later. Two of the best-known and most quoted lines of all time in film history wow. in this movie. And one of them, the one at the end, often misquoted. More so than I'll Be Back? I would say comparable okay. for its time, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, it was gotcha. right up yeah. there. I mean, now, obviously, all of these years later, things sort of fade from people's consciousness. Not as many young people are probably making an opportunity for themselves to see Sunset Boulevard. But even in like cartoons, like, you know, like the pink rabbit on Tiny Toons, whatever her okay. name was, yeah. I'm sure did the, I'm ready for my close-up Mr. DeMille That's true. thing. I, you know, it was just something that was repeated over and over and often misquoted as not exactly what she actually says in the movie. There's a lot of yeah. famous movie quotes that are misquoted well, most of the Star time. Star Wars, the Luke, I am your father, is it, it seems like what people always say. But that's not really the line in the movie. What is it? I think he says, no, I am your father, or something like that. Like, I, th I think he says, you killed my father, and he corrects him. It's not, Luke, I am your father, which is kind of what it's always quoted as. Okay. Hollywood loves stories about itself more than any other kind of story, even if the story mostly serves as a reminder of just how heartless and cold and cruel it can actually be. William Holden is excellent as an unsuccessful screenwriter named Joe Gillis, but Sunset Boulevard truly belongs to Gloria Swanson. She plays faded film star oh, yeah. from the silent era, Norma Desmond, infinitely sad, propped up only by a facade of delusions and fantasies, desperate to make some kind of triumphant return, not only to the silver screen, but into the hearts and minds of an adoring audience she still very much believes exists, even though we know that it doesn't. Right. Gloria Swanson's portrayal, her performance in this film is often considered one of the greatest performances of all time. And I think the reason for that is when you watch what she does in this movie and then you think about everything you've seen in your life that has come after this, you can see it in other performances yeah. throughout the ages. Maybe not exactly the same, maybe not always as over the top, but this is like the prototype for a certain type of female performance. It's a template. Okay. And yeah. she's basically just inventing shit in this movie that would live on forever in sure. various other performances in various other ways. Her performance is definitely amazing, if at times it feels a little exaggerated. Right, but I mean, I think that fits with the style and yeah, genre of the so. movie itself it, true the dialogue is obviously heightened it's extra clever and funny joe gillis is this very standard noir character even though he's a screenwriter and not like right. a detective or something norma desmond the character seems to be a composite of several silent era film stars who faded into exile or were lost to mental illness over the years such as mary pickford may murray clara bow Another, Norma Talmadge, may have provided the first name and some of the 
characteristics. Okay, gotcha. The way that she acts, the reputation for being a terror on set, and okay. the overdramatic carrying on. Uh, right. <laughs> a lot, though, was taken from the life of Mabel Normand and her friend, director William Desmond Taylor. Oh, wow. Who was murdered in 1922 in a never-solved case which was sensationalized by the press. I don't know if the implication is that Mabel Norman murdered her friend William Desmond Taylor, but I don't know. Okay, I kind of got the sense that maybe it was a possibility. Inspiration there, anyway. And the part that starts to creep into the meta idea is that Swanson herself was a silent movie star who frequently worked with Cecil B. DeMille. Okay. And then she disappeared from Hollywood and came back with Sunset Boulevard. Except Perfect the major role. difference is Gloria Swanson moved on with her life. I mean, she was yeah, not yeah. Norma Desmond. She went and got a career in radio and was kind of out of California altogether. Right. And then this role comes her way and she makes this triumphant return I guess so. in reality. I guess something that just how out of touch I am with things at times, it's like, I guess I wouldn't have thought the movie industry to be as lucrative back during the silent era. as Like, she is filthy rich. Yeah, it seems that she... The character of Norma Desmond, she spent her money wisely. Like right. She bought up well, property yeah. and got into oil and all of this stuff. But I think that's a specific choice for the script because it really wants you to only focus on her desire for fame that's and true. not money. Yes. The money is irrelevant. She has the money. That doesn't matter. She is only concerned about this adoration of the public. True. <laughs> that no longer is there. Right. But just Swanson being a silent movie star herself, and we'll get into that more as we go as well, because there's a lot of things that actually mirror her life, Gloria Swanson, that they took and used in this movie, and it becomes very, like, meta. But DeMille plays himself. There's Swanson, as I mentioned, who was an actual silent movie star. Max is played by Eric Von Stroheim. Yeah. Who directed Swanson in a movie in the silent era. And, of course, once we learn the truth Boy, about Max I, yeah. later. Is there not a lot to say about Max? I mean, <laughs> I feel like, life. you know, whew. And the waxworks, as they're referred to by Joe, are played by Buster Keaton, Anna Q. Nielsen, and H.B. Warner, I think is his yeah, name. Yeah, one of these who guys was is from, Gower, right? Yeah, yeah he's from him? It's yeah. a Wonderful Life. Right. Interesting that we did back-to-back movies featuring that guy. Yeah. But those three were all real silent era stars as well. Oh, wow. I guess... H.P. Warner was able to transition into some movies that had talking, but I don't know about Keaton and Nielsen if they really had the same kind of success. I I know Buster Keaton's silent movies are obviously famous and well-regarded. Yes, this is Sunset Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. It's about 5 o'clock in the morning. That's the Homicide Squad complete with detectives and newspaper men. A murder has been reported from one of those great big houses in the 10,000 block. You'll read about it in late editions, I'm sure. You'll get it over your radio and see it on television. Because an old-time star is involved. One of the biggest. But before you hear it all distorted and blown out of proportion, before those Hollywood columnists get their hands on it, Maybe you'd like to hear the facts, the whole truth. If so, you've come to the right party. You see, the body of a young man was found floating in the pool of her mansion, with two shots in his back and one in his stomach. 
Nobody important, really. Just a movie writer with a couple of B pictures to his credit. The poor dope. He always wanted a pool. Well, in the end, he got himself a pool. Only the price turned out to be a little high. So let's just jump right into it. A mansion on Sunset Boulevard. One of the first things we see is Joe Gillis floating face down dead in a pool. That's true. They give it away. There's a little bit of a Great Gatsby thing going on here. Yeah, and it's actually kind of like American Beauty, which we mentioned when we did American Beauty. The idea of the dead narrator and the story being a flashback. Right. And we learn that Joe has written some B-movies. He has a couple of credits, but he's not really anybody He's not killing it. Noteworthy. Yeah. We start six months earlier. Joe is down on his luck. We have repossession men after his car. <laughs> his whole plan before diverting to like the garage of, of what he's going to do, or I guess, no, this is still his plan post-garage, of like going back to Dayton, Ohio, and then what, sending for someone to get his car? No, telling them where it is so they can go get it okay. once he's out of town. Gotcha. I don't know. Uh, okay. I guess just Letting to the be repo a dick, I'm not really yeah, sure okay, what, yeah. if there's really any benefit. Yeah, I think a lot of great stories come from the character that's just walking on the edge, like starting sure. with their back against the wall. because it, Something about nothing to lose. Yeah, it opens them up to a scenario of, because well, you, you need I'm to, just going to see where this goes. Exactly, because you need to be in like a certain state of mind to be able to like follow certain paths. Yeah, because I was listening to the podcast. I can't remember the name of it, but there was a podcast talking about this movie. Okay, not this one. I was listening one. to it recently, and... One of the hosts was kind of pitching the idea of like, well, would it be better if Joe was more of this innocent beginner who wasn't so jaded by Hollywood? I don't think so. And I understand why that would work in certain scenes with Norma and how that would play differently and maybe be more entertaining. But I think you need someone this cynical, down on their luck, having already had it with Hollywood to be in the position of being willing to just go with this. Because if you compare Joe to Betty, who we meet later in the movie, <laughs> right. would Betty ever find herself in this situation? I don't think it so. really wouldn't make any sense. No. You need someone who can kind of like the gears in their head are turning and like, how can I twist this for my own benefit? Oh, like, yeah. Why would I accept this? It's like, okay, well, things were going pretty shitty for me. Maybe I can take some of this old lady's money yeah, and kind it, of string her along. Right. But it also does feel like at a certain point, like, well, what is the exit strategy going to be? I think he was just planning on trying to get some cash and assumes that DeMille will turn this movie down and her dreams will kind of be shattered and then he yeah. can kind of move on. But Has I mean, he read the script? I guess he under, he does start to have some sort of feelings for her. I don't know if it's necessarily sexual, but he cares about her because he does return yeah, when right. he escapes the one time True, <laughs> because he thinks that she's attempted suicide. So he's pitching this story called Bases Loaded at Paramount. Yeah. It's about a shortstop. It's like some baseball movie. Doesn't sound great. Although I do like this Paramount guy. Although Mr. Sheldrake, is that not the same name as the executive from The Apartment? The apartment? Yeah. Okay. But he's sort of pitching it to be a, a female movie with softball players, right? Like, Well, I think there was like some specific star that they were looking for a vehicle for. Wow. It's like so ahead of its time, though. He's like... Okay, let's do the female version of this movie. You know? <laughs> it's the Ghostbusters That's right. with Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy. The script reader named Betty Schaefer comes in. Right away, we notice Betty. Pretty cute. <laughs> yeah, I guess. She <laughs> just shits all over this movie, not knowing that the writer is standing right there. And then 
the executive's like, well, meet the writer, Joe Gillis. And then she's like embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. But she likes some of Joe's other work. We, well, we don't know that now. But okay. like the first time you're watching this movie, it does jump out to you that they introduce this character and have her come in and you know her name and she has an opinion that is noteworthy like it's a funny scene that she criticizes this without knowing the guys behind her and then the whole thing so you're like okay clearly this character is going to come back and be involved in this movie or else what is the point of all of this this doesn't really mean anything after this embarrassing moment joe's driving around he's looking for money to try to keep his car out of hawk and he goes and finds his agent and that's an embarrassing (laughs) moment his agent won't even lend him the money oh right yeah He's basically, basically like, he's look like, for a new agent. Well, yeah, but he's also like, if you want money, go write something, which I can't disagree with. <laughs> but he does use that old thing about artists like... You Starving know, artists. You're going to be at your best when, right. you're, when you are your back's against the wall. You have no other options but to write something better. Yes. And he doesn't really take that inspiration. No. As he's driving around, he sees the repo guys out on the road. He flees. He pulls a U-turn. He's driving down Sunset Boulevard. It's a pretty short chase. He manages to turn a corner, and then he gets a flat tire and pulls into a random driveway on Sunset Boulevard. The repo guys pass by without seeing him. Yeah. And it turns out that this driveway goes to an old, dilapidated mansion, some sort of a relic from a different Hollywood era. Right. It's funny, though, because they act like it's so old, but... It's probably only like 25 years old yeah, or 30 at the oldest. And like, the interior looks like really nice. Yeah, but the outside definitely yeah. harkens back to a different time. Well, it doesn't yeah, it doesn't help that like the pool is in some stage of disrepair. Yeah, it's not filled in. As he's parking the car in the garage at this house and assuming that it's abandoned, he's sort of walking around and he hears the voice of a woman inside who is kind of calling out to him, saying, like, why are you late? Get in here. What's going (laughs) on? And so it all begins. He's kind of sucked into this world. We first meet Max, who seems to be the servant of the house. Kind of just like a classic butler-style character. Yeah, and there's... There's a a lot more going on with Max. A case of mistaken identity right off the bat. And he's trying to figure out why they think he's supposed to be there, because he's like... This is an accident. I I had a flat tire. I randomly pulled in here. I don't know. Right, why are yeah. you saying you were expecting I me? I actually am using your garage right now. Max is like, let me know if you need any help with the coffin, which is kind of an <laughs> ominous thing to say <laughs> yeah. as he's walking up the stairs to go find this woman. And as he goes up there, there's a body underneath a sheet, and she's talking about different kinds of coffins, and then she pulls the sheet back, and right. it's a chimp. Which is weird. <laughs> I will say, like, this does jump out to you. You're not really expecting... A dead monkey. Yeah, it, this. I mean, Sunset Boulevard is considered a horror movie by a lot of people. It's a different style of horror movie. Obviously, it's not supernatural. There's not anything jumping out, and there's not like a lot of blood or anything. But it's a depressing, sad story about the sure, horrible yeah. things that can happen. But there's also this certain grotesque quality to certain moments of the film, and this dead chimp is probably the first one where you're like this is just strange and i'm sure in 1950 it had like a an uncomfortable quality to it yeah it was that was unlike me people were used to 2019 (laughs) the woman takes her sunglasses off and joe recognizes her as silent film star norma desmond yeah i'm glad he does well i mean it's a made-up person 
<laughs> I mean, we wouldn't. No, I know. It's just like, it seems like not a lot of people would. I guess if you worked in the film industry and you, you should know. knew a lot he's about a writer, films. He writes dialogue. That's true, but I don't know. I guess he's old enough to have some appreciation for the old stars. That's true. Before Joe can leave the mansion, Norma learns that he is a writer, and it turns out that she's written a script for herself. Oh, boy. Never good. About Salome, who I tried to like read about this character. It's somewhat tied in with the Bible, but I think she was like an actual historical character, but she's not named specifically in the Bible, but she was like the daughter of King Herod, and she okay. ordered the head of John the Baptist. Seems like a riveting script. Yeah, I don't know that there was, I was, the Wikipedia page, I wasn't getting a lot of like, there's a story here, other okay, than the, yeah. she's condemned, or her her marriage is condemned or something by John the Baptist, then she orders the head of John the Baptist. All right. And you know what? Know. Would see. <laughs> Especially back in this time. I mean, Cecil B. DeMille, for those of you not familiar, I mean, his most famous films are a lot of epic biblical films, like okay. The Ten Commandments yeah, and gotcha. Samson and Delilah. So it's not out of the realm, eventually, when she wants to pitch this thing to him, that he would be maybe the director. And there was, like... It's his genre. Post-Silent Era, I mean, there was a lot of epic biblical story films. I mean, that was just something that sold well in this time period. So it's not, like, the craziest thing I've ever heard. Okay. But then again, they've never made a movie, as far as I know, about this person. So it wasn't something that people were (laughs) really eager to hear or to see. Not surprisingly, Joe learns pretty quick that the script is awful, but he starts to see an opportunity for himself. And this is what I was talking about. He's in a position where he doesn't have anything else going on. His back is against the wall. So why not see what happens? Sure. Maybe there's money here. Maybe there's a little something. Where else is he going to go? His car is a flat tire. He basically manipulates the situation so that he can be the script doctor, which I guess he sees as a money-making scheme. Except... It's funny because he doesn't account for Norma's craziness. And I guess for people who haven't seen this movie, I mean, I would recommend checking it out before listening to this because we're not going to really do the acting and the scenes and the lines justice. No, probably not. There's no way to convey the quality of the interactions between the two of them because I find it endlessly entertaining. And it's odd because... Billy Wilder was definitely going for an age discrepancy that was noticeable between okay, the two. Okay, for sure. And yet, Although hard when to you tell see how them together on the screen, it doesn't really work out. Now, Montgomery Clift was supposed to be the star of this movie, and he dropped out of it claiming one thing. It later came out that he was actually having an affair with a much older woman, and he oh. thought the press well. was going to like find out <laughs> about it if he did this movie. Okay. Wow. So he basically backed out of it, and he was much younger looking than William Holden was at this time. So the yeah. the discrepancy jumped out more. Sure. I will say these two don't look that far apart. Well, Gloria Swanson famously was an early adopter of being a health nut. She was like a vegetarian. Oh, wow. She took insanely good care of her skin. She was super into health food. And she looked younger than 50. And Holden, because of the time, you know, smoking cigarettes probably, he was only 31. Living but he seems like he could easily be in his 40s. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, the age discrepancy... Is harder to tell. They tried to make Holden look a little bit younger, and I think they did her makeup in ways to try to make her look older. It's not unlike Mrs. Robinson. Oh, sure. In yeah. The Graduate. By the way, I do relate to Gillis a little bit with this whole like, well, you know, 
I got a flat tire, so I basically like this is my life now. Like <laughs> I'm any stuck here. Forever. Yeah, like anytime I've had a problem with my car, like my car won't start. I'm just like, well, I'm just gonna have to leave it here. And, I live uh, here now yeah. in the right. <laughs> subway parking lot. <laughs> yeah. I think early on in the movies where we get the first iconic line where Joe first recognizes Norma and he's like, you used to be big. Oh, yeah. And she says, I am big. It's right. the pictures that got small. Lady, you got the wrong man. I had some trouble with my car, flat tire. I pulled into your garage until I could get a spare. I thought this was an empty house. It is not. Get out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you lost your friend. And I don't think red is the right color. Wait a minute, haven't I seen you before? I know your face. Get out or shall I call my servant? You're Norma Desmond. Used to be in silent pictures, used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. Uh -huh. I knew there was something wrong. They're dead, they're finished. It was a time in this business when they had the eyes of the whole wide world. But that wasn't good enough for them. Oh, no. They had to have the ears of the world, too. So they opened their big mouths, and out came talk. Talk, talk! That's where the popcorn business comes in. You buy yourself a bag and plug up your ears. Look at them in the front offices. The masterminds. They took the idols and smashed them. The Fairbankses, the Gilberts, the Valentinos. And what have we got now? Some nobody. Don't blame me. I, I'm not an executive, just a writer. You are writing words, words, more words. Well, you've made a rope of words and strangled this business. <laughs> but there's a microphone right there to catch the last gurgles and Technicolor to photograph the red swollen tongue. I use variations of that sure. in conversation. I think I have on this show before. You used to be Mel Clark. <laughs> and I love that when certain lines of dialogue from famous movies kind of just get incorporated and adopted into the lexicon and people just use them. And sure. I was probably using variations of that line before ever even seeing this movie right. just because it becomes a thing. You're just constantly telling people that they used to be big. <laughs> no, I say that I used to be big. Well, yeah, <laughs> sure. I'm big. Right. It's the everything else that got small. Yeah. No, but when I say variation, I don't mean the big and the small. I mean just that, this is still the same. This is the thing that changed yes, or whatever. Right. Like that whole cadence to it. I think I did it on, if I'm remembering correctly, the American Beauty episode. I would say probably. Where I said the That's movie is still a satire. It's everybody else that changed or whatever. I was kind <laughs> yeah. of echoing this line in my head, like thinking of that way to do it. I would say the Mr. DeMello, I'm ready for my close-up. I don't think I've ever really used that. Probably not. But I get it. I, I, get, I can't imagine I get the, the time idea that of it. you were ready for a close-up. <laughs> A long time ago. Yeah, I think where we were at here, so Joe sees this opportunity for himself. He's like, all right, this script is complete garbage, but <laughs> I can pretend to like doctor it up and help it along yeah, there's if an opportunity she's going to pay here, me a salary and it's something to do. But he's not accounting for how crazy yeah, and invested in this norm is because she's exactly. immediately like, you got to stay in the room above the garage. You have to live here. <laughs> yeah, which if you're homeless, which it seemed like maybe he's – about to be yeah because like, he's about to back crash on, on somebody's couch as an alternative so i mean i would take the the apartment above the garage and this sort of starts this whole idea of this mansion on sunset boulevard being a gilded cage and at first you're not really sure who the cage is for her or him or yeah. both right 
and it's haunted by days of past glory. You can sense immediately what's going on with Norma. She has this idea in her mind that she is still at the height oh, of yeah. this fame and this this power of fame above everything else that drives her and she is living in a world of delusions well she uh, yeah i was just gonna say she is delusional and, and i think it takes a little bit to sort of realize that there is something like really wrong here beyond just sure at yeah. first it seems like she's just grasping to something and she's sad but at a certain point it's just like this is a problem yeah, and I think her relationship with Joe over the course of the movie also sends her further and further right, on the spiral. Into a and by the frenzy. end of the movie, she's completely lost it. When we first meet her, she's obviously delusional and, and a yes. little bit off, but it gets worse and worse. And Joe being there and everything that goes on between them seems to exasperate the situation. Right. It's only been Max for how long? Yeah. Eventually, Joe is moved in permanently at Norma's insistence. Basically, he wakes up that first morning and all of his shit is moved in because Max came in there and went and got it at his actual apartment. (laughs) Pretty wild. And over time, we start to understand the size and scope of Norma's delusions. She is very much convinced that there's an adoring public that is still sending her all of these fan letters every day. And that she's still this big star even I though she look hasn't close actually at the postmarks though. acted in a film in a long time. Yeah. Two or three times a week, Max would haul up that enormous oil painting that had been presented to her by some Nevada Chamber of Commerce. And we'd see a movie right in her living room. So much nicer than going out, she'd say. The plain fact was she was afraid of that world outside. Afraid it would remind her that time had passed. They were silent movies, and Max would run the projection machine, which was just as well. It kept him from giving us an accompaniment on that wheezing organ. She'd sit very close to me, and she'd smell of tube roses, which is not my favorite perfume, not by a long shot. Sometimes, as we watched, She'd clutch my arm or my hand, forgetting she was my employer. Just becoming a fan, excited about that actress up there on the screen. I guess I don't have to tell you who the star was. They were always her pictures. That's all she wanted to see. She has movie nights at her mansion. I love it. I was she like... screens her own movies from <laughs> another era. <laughs> yeah. It's just her not narcissistic at all sitting on the couch. Still wonderful, isn't it? And no dialogue. We didn't need dialogue. We had faces. There just aren't any faces like that anymore. Maybe one, Garbo. Those idiot producers. Those imbeciles. Haven't they got any eyes? Have they forgotten what a star looks like? I'll show them. I'll be up there again, so help me. She has the waxworks over for a card night. Some yeah, play some bridge. Some of her peers from that time. Yeah, fun and little gang they got. Joe sort of becomes this kept man. She spoils him with clothing Yeah, and buys gifts. him like nice-ass suits. His car is eventually, eventually towed away. Yeah, they find it. Those repo guys are good, man. I, I will say I wouldn't have thought Repo was like a burgeoning business in the 50s. Yeah, I mean, they're th- only three payments. I mean, yeah, wow, they're on top of it. Wow, <laughs> right. 
The room above the garage has a leak when it starts to rain a lot at the end of December. Yeah. And so he's moved into the main house. It's interesting because, and we talked about this plenty in a movie that came out a decade later, The Apartment, about how they have to like dance around things and basically pretend that things are one way when the idea is for the audience to understand that they're another way. Right. And they had to be even probably more careful in 1950 than they did in 1960. And it wouldn't be until the late 60s into the 70s when you could finally start telling things as they really were. Sure. But there's a certain scandalous implication of him moving into the house with her. And even though <laughs> up until the very end of the movie, it's like they have separate bedrooms. And right. There's he no moves, which idea. I like that. That's the thing. It's not just that they're going to have separate bedrooms. He moves into what was the bedroom of all the previous husbands. Yeah, which is a funny little twist, though, because you see that her bed is like that boat-shaped bed, which I was like, what kind of mattress would even yeah. fit in that? You have to like cut a mattress to be the certain shape of a boat? Well, everything's custom designed for a house like this. Sure. But there's no room for another person in that. It's like a very small boat. Right, yes. And... Yeah, I do like the idea that her husbands would have to sleep in like their own bed. Yeah. Well, I was <laughs> I think feeling funny. like if they did a version of this, not even necessarily now, like like 1970 and beyond, uh, to me there's like no way that it's not shown that the two characters are like having sex. Yeah. That's you know what, what I mean? mean. That's what that's what I'm saying. I, right. Is that the implication that the audience I think even in 1950 was supposed to kind of get that? Yeah. But they couldn't really show it's that never, I mean, they're not married it's never portrayed nor <laughs> even like spoken about no and there's no i think they they are about to kiss at one point after she attempts suicide and that fades to black yeah so they don't even really have a kissing scene which right. is kind of strange it wasn't really like cougar forward during this era joe moves into the main house which i said of course is scandalous and then we find out that norma was married three times there's no locks anywhere in the house because of previous suicide attempts. This is all Max revealing this information. He has no problem <laughs> Max- just saying all this d- the dirty secrets. <laughs> She's been married three times. She's attempted suicide because she is melancholy. Max really wants Gillis to be aware of the situation that he's in. And then he reveals that it is, in fact, him, Max, that writes all of those fan letters. Yeah. Which take up her time and it's... Max has really gotten himself it, involved. In. I mean, if the audience I, wasn't I, sure what was going on, then this is the moment that, that you finally get how sad this all is. Oh, I know. Because she seems to put so much stock in this imagined fan base that is still this, calling out for right, her they return. They want her back on the scene. <laughs> I got more into actresses and famous movie stars and stuff from the 40s even like after the silent movie era just like the noirs of the 40s and 50s and different like detective movies and stuff and some of the blonde bombshells and different starlets still hasn't happened for me and you find out that you know they made a couple of high profile movies and then they faded into obscurity right away i mean the idea of not a lot of staying power the movie star lasting for any amount of time or being able to maintain a career yeah. for it really took a long time for that to become more common. It's still something Well, that, I I can remember yeah, like watching stuff about like the Hitchcock girls. Yeah. And like how hard it was for them to stay around. Yeah, and I mean we talk about it all the time. We talked about it even when we were discussing 
the older actresses that would be passed over for Jennifer Lawrence to play an older character in Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, it's yeah. still something that happens now that actresses get more phased out, but it just seems that if you achieve a certain level of fame now, even if you're not able to necessarily stay like an A-lister and in big projects, you still stay famous and rich, and you're able to like do stuff with that fame still. Sure. Like, yeah. You know, it does come in handy still. Like Demi Moore. Right. Or something. You know what I mean? It's not like she just faded away. Yeah, to nothing. it still seems like she's super famous, even though it's like. She's not opening a big movie anytime no, soon. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of just. It's a different thing. Like, people's fame somehow lasts longer now because there's more ways to just stay in the public consciousness. Stay relevant. If you were in a couple of movies in the 40s and then the studios were like, all right, you, you know, we've had enough then what were you going to do? I mean, there was, you, yeah. you had to go back to being a waitress because it's not like you made any money either. They didn't get, really get paid that much compared to now, so right. that money was usually gone pretty quickly. I feel like they just, now, if you do stop being in movies, you just become like the moms from like Big Little Eyes, you know? There's a lot more opportunities now, too, with all right. of the di- 10 million different new TV shows sure, that are yeah. on all the time. I think I have like three pilots that I'm going to be in next season <laughs> yeah <laughs> everyone's got pilots you didn't have to screen test no you just walk out you just sign up sheet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to be in a few shows right i think one is gonna be on the new target streaming service <laughs> or like the walmart streaming service right <laughs> the movie's centerpiece where things kind of change dramatically and they take the big turn all sort of happens around the new year's eve party oh yeah which is why this wow. is a good Relevant. new year's eve selection yes the second straight new year's eve episode we're doing on a billy wilder movie wow yeah hard to believe what that it's been a year since we did the apartment i feel like it's it feels longer oh okay the wake-up call moment for joe is when he's all dressed up in the in this tuxedo that she paid for and yeah, there's a, a band playing i love this yeah booking entertainment for and they're a party dancing for around the dance floor with their champagne and it's revealed that there aren't going to be any more guests because <laughs> Joe thinks that there's a whole party plan. Right. It well, turns you out hear the it's word just party. him and yeah. Norma. That's the thing. I, I do feel like Max is kind of like one of the ghost characters from The Shining, you know? And mm-hmm. this whole scene kind of reminds me of that, the ballroom from The Shining. Yeah, it's the, just like there's no one around. The band is just randomly there. Yeah. It's actually kind of jarring to see those other people in the house. Right. The musicians. And like, what do you think they're thinking? A gig know. is a gig is a gig is a gig. Yeah. And that's the thing. We talked about it. She has money because her being rich is sort of crucial to the story in a lot of different ways. Not only because she lavishes all of these gifts upon Joe, but just to clarify what her obsession is all about. It's oh, not sure. about money. Norma has fallen in love with Joe. Which oh, no. At this point, I guess, seems inevitable. Yeah. You're like, what way would this possibly go? This makes sense and this is where joe does start to seem just seedier and seedier because he knows it's happening he knows what it's building towards he just can't stop himself from continuing to in all fairness i think he tries to get out of it and let her down gently this time but i mean it doesn't work and she slaps him and (laughs) runs upstairs he's not leading her on yet true i will say that yeah i mean he definitely does some questionable stuff and he is shady (laughs) yeah and it also brings into question which is something that Wilder would toy with, I think, in Double Double Indemnity and some of his other movies, the idea of the unreliable narrator. And is Joe an unreliable narrator? All through his perspective. Yeah. I don't know if they were really 
that concerned with that kind of stuff as early as 1950 yeah. in film. I mean, I think it's supposed to be pretty straightforward, but the story could be kind of conveniently leaving out things that he's done sure. to lead her on. I'd or... like to hear it from Max's perspective. That's the only version that would be even sadder yeah. than this version. <laughs> yeah. Joe decides to bail after he gets slapped and she runs upstairs and he goes and finds his friends, similar people in oh, similar points of their careers at a New Year's Eve party at a friend's named Artie Green. Yeah. And it turns out that old Betty Schaefer is Artie's girl. Yeah. So if you're like me and you just assume she would be coming back, here she is, Nancy Olson playing Betty Schaefer. Which was tied in because, yeah, he was friends with Artie Green, so it's kind of a weird tie-in already. Yeah. It's just one of those convenient coincidences. Because he had mentioned Artie earlier in the movie, too, when he was talking about like the few people that he was friends with in Hollywood. Yeah. It turns out that Betty is very embarrassed about their last interaction and she decided to pull out some of old Joe's stories to see if she could find anything useful. And she finds this story called Dark Windows that she likes a portion of and wants to turn into something. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately for her, I guess, Joe's really not interested at <laughs> this like, time. Look, honey, my career is over, okay? Because you know, it's funny because he's like, oh, Dark Windows, did you like it? And she's like, no. <laughs> but I like this but one I like part of it. Six pages yeah. or something. <laughs> this whole thing that's going on with the two of them and Artie's sort of like awareness of it. It's oh. weird. I mean, yeah, they're like, oh, it's just shop talk. We're just going to talk this. And then immediately like going, Joe is like trying to like kiss her shoulder yeah. or something. <laughs> and you're like, Jesus, Joe. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering what your thoughts are on this. Clearly, they're acting out. Some scene. But yeah. it's, I mean, it's a sexually charged oh yeah thing you know and i mean it's like oh, Artie's having to yeah. comment on it like right away like you know why are you going to the bathroom with my girl <laughs> well that's well once they start doing the scene that's when they're already in the bathroom yeah, I, don't I know, know why they keep calling it the rainbow room i didn't really get that eh, i i don't know not I a reference sure what that, that meant. resonates with me i thought the one girl remember on the, he's trying to get on the phone and there's just two blondes listening to the phone <laughs> yes, and laughing right the one kind of looked like marilyn monroe okay but i don't think it was her yeah but it look, kind of looked like her. Maybe it is her. I don't know. I didn't really find a ton of fun facts on this because I thought doing It's a Wonderful Life and Sunset Boulevard, two classic movies in a row, I thought it would be more interesting to just kind of give our impressions without like okay. digging too much into I them. I like it. I do think Betty and Joe, safe to say, an undeniable chemistry, though. Yeah. They're definitely written to so be- So you can see why Artie's got to be like in a pod. looking over his shoulder a little bit. Sure. Joe calls the mansion wanting Max to pack up his thing so he can get the fuck out of there. And Max is like, hey, Norma cut her wrists with your razor while <laughs> yeah. you were gone. <laughs> and he's like, didn't I tell you not to leave razors around? So Joe runs out of the party and returns to her, returns to that mansion on Sunset Boulevard, returns to Norma, who is in bed with her wrists yeah. wrapped up. Do Pretty you think the dark. suicide attempt is real? Uh I guess I was just taking it that it was. It we never see the doctor that Max references. That's and true. later in the film, she definitely does not have scars on her wrist. That's a good point. However, it I did think that maybe that was something like they just wouldn't do in at, 1950. Right. It was like too much. A fake suicide. <laughs> yeah, like her wrists Attempt. look like Luke Wilson and Royal Tenenbaums. Just like these horrible lines oh, all over God. them. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess you wouldn't put it past her pulling a scheme like that and max being like on board for it because he's well, just she, gonna do he's just gonna do whatever right. she says yeah. yeah i don't know if you're supposed to question it or not or just take everything at face value 
don't really think it actually matters because the point is he has returned. Whether it was her doing something for attention or her being serious or her making it all up, she wanted yeah, him to come back and he came back. And they reconcile and they kiss and it fades to black. Oh, yeah. And so from this point on, I think the thing that you can assume as a viewer is that their relationship has now gotten it's physical. Intimate. And there's probably is sex, but it's never mentioned and right, you don't yes. see anything. Yeah, I think it's funny because a lot of these old-time directors, whether it was Billy Wilder or even like Godard in France or, 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 or people that worked primarily in an era where you couldn't get away with a lot of stuff, they all seem to say that they would want to do stuff. They wanted to push the envelope further, have sex, have nudity, have more violence, more whatever. And yet them being forced to dance around certain things made them sharper and clever, right? You more had clever to come up with funny. ways to get your message across without. Yeah, you couldn't just rely on like titillation or tits. Yeah, <laughs> as a crutch, like you had yeah. to. Once we got to the '90s as a civilization. <laughs> well, I mean, know. it didn't t- even take that long. I know, but... but really, it was just screaming in at that point. Yeah, and you had to hook the audience in with like different techniques. And it's funny hearing them say that because occasionally you'll see different things where they'll say like well we wanted to do stuff like this but we just couldn't do it back then later on in their lives giving interviews and stuff obviously i love a lot of r-rated mature content and yes you do probably harder core stuff more (laughs) hardcore stuff than that even yeah like a lars van trier every now and again yeah but i do kind of appreciate the ingenuity of making entertaining movies for adults sure without being able to do a lot of those things yeah i agree with that betty tries to contact joe at the mansion and max keeps shutting it down over and over and stop unbeknownst here. to joe yeah he's like please no calls <laughs> he's like i can't take on any more work in a day than i already do i'm already i work around the clock yeah I, he's just an endless job of working for norma <laughs> right. and living in this house Norma has Max deliver the script to her former director, Cecil B. DeMille, at Paramount. And then when they're driving over... Which, this is one thing. Why is this now the time? Well, they finished whatever they were doing, and then she is big into astrology, and she was oh, talking that's right. about the yeah. different... <laughs> I forgot. This is actually written into the script. Yeah. <laughs> she just decides that this is the best moment to do it based on her Their sign signs aligning. Cecil B. DeMille yeah. sign or something. I don't know. When they're driving one night to play cards at one of the Waxworks house, they stop at a drugstore and Joe has an encounter yeah, well, with Well, this drugstore is a weird hangout also. That's how drugstores used to be. They used to have like a counter. Yeah. And you could get like fountain drinks. Okay. Or like cigarettes. Or like a, what we would probably call like ice cream floats. Yeah. But they would call oh, them yeah. like ice cream or I don't know what they would call them. Like pick up your prescription and get an ice cream float. Yeah, and you'd sit at the counter. Teens would hang out sometimes. This was like a big hangout, though, for like a lot of Hollywood types that weren't quite making it. Yeah, he runs into Betty, and she tells him that Dark Windows, this project that she's taken from one of his stories, might actually be happening because she's pitched it to her boss, Sheldrake. He yeah. likes it. Joe, still not in. <laughs> but he's like kind of, he's saying no, but then he'll like give her more. Yeah, like give her stuff to like, like a little idea feed, or something like to build on. Of- yeah. He's always, like, dangling it out there. Paramount executive Gordon Cole calls repeatedly 
at the mansion, and Norma refuses to speak with anyone except DeMille himself because right. she just naturally assumes this has to do with the script. Finally, after only three days of this, because she at first she acts like this could go on forever, and then after three days she decides to have Max drive Take her and Joe DeVille, down DeMille. to Paramount in person. I like the scene where she's trying to get onto the lot and they're not letting her, and then the old security guard recognizes her, and she says, without me, there wouldn't be any Paramount Studios. And again, this is like a meta moment because Gloria Swanson herself was the top star at Paramount for six okay, years during the that? silent era and made a ton of money and then spent it all. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, though. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I guess some of this is intentional and I guess some of it, because Gloria Swanson wasn't necessarily their first choice. They wanted to find an actual silent film era star and then okay. bring her back and yeah. have her play the part. I guess once they cast her, then maybe they tailored things to her story a little bit to sort of... It's like a star is born. ...make it all work. But yeah, it's just... I can't get over how unique this probably would have felt and just been to people who would have known these things. Now, your average moviegoer might not have known all of this stuff going into a theater in 1950, but if you were aware of all of these different connections to reality and stuff... I don't know. It's just mind-boggling. Yeah, to me. I would say so. <laughs> There's nothing like it from this time period that I know of. No, but I, I must apologize for not calling you. You'd better. I'm very angry. Well, you can see, I'm, I'm terribly busy. That's no excuse. You read the script, of course. Yes, I did. And you could have picked up the telephone yourself instead of leaving it to one of your assistants. Hmm? What assistant? Now, don't play innocent. Somebody named uh, Gordon Cole. Gordon Cole. And if you hadn't been pretty darn interested in that script, he wouldn't have tried to get me on the telephone ten times. Gordon Cole. Look, Norma, I'm in the middle of a rehearsal. Now, why don't you just sit up here in my chair and make yourself comfortable, hmm? Thank you. That's a girl. I won't be a moment. Bring me a telephone and get me Gordon Cole. Right. Miss Desmond, it's me, it's Hogeye. Hello, Hogeye. Let's get a good look at you. Look, there's Norma Desmond. Norma Desmond. Norma Desmond. Why, I thought she was dead. How nice. Welcome home, Mr. You remember me, don't you? Oh, Gordon, this is C.B. DeMille. Have you been calling Norma Desmond? Yes, Mr. DeMille. It's that car of hers, an old Isada Fraschini. Her chauffeur drove it in on the lot the other day. It looks just right for the Crosby picture. We want to rent it for a couple of weeks. Oh, I see. Well... Thank you very much. Thank you. The older studio employees recognize Norma. I actually love the whole way this sequence is done where this gentleman by the name of Hog Guy 
recognizes yeah. her first <laughs> hey it's me hog eye <laughs> hi hog eye like she's so like not interested in <laughs> yeah but i do i mean the way that this sequence is done is so cool even in black and white it looks cool the way that he like puts the spotlight on her obviously we have like the whole metaphor here of like what the spotlight is and while it's on her everyone comes over and recognizes her and is like Yes. talking about her and there's a lot of people being like i thought she was dead which kind of seems like you know, <laughs> yeah i like that there's this moment in the movie where these former peers of hers who still work for the studio the older people there warmly greet her and recognize her i know it's something kind of unexpected for how horrific well, everything always turns like, out to be because you can sense even when you don't know why this is all happening yet because you don't know what who this gordon cole is and why he's calling you still kind of sense that the rug is going to be pulled right, out yes. you're like this is, you're bracing for and something even, so uh, awkward but we talked about it earlier in the show but even how demille is like treating her and like even the the assistant director or whatever that guy is that like says something to him he's just like shut the fuck up yeah, he does. He does say, "Oh God, I I assume this is about her awful script or yeah, whatever." So right. he, you, his cards are on the table. You know, he thinks the script is terrible, yeah, yeah. but he does receive her affectionately, and he treats her with this great respect. And he does shut down that other guy when he kind of makes a comment about her age. Right, and he's yes. like, "Well, I'm old enough to be your father. How old does that make me?" Yeah, yeah, he's like, "Oh," right. and Demille tactfully evades her questions about the script, which he obviously thinks is terrible. Meanwhile, Joe, while this is all going on, gets distracted by running into Betty once again. On the Paramount lot, yeah. And they start to spitball ideas for this Dark Windows project. I just keep calling it that, even though Dark Windows was the name of some stupid thing he had written, and that what their project is is not really related to that. All the meta stuff, do you think like this was the first movie where they were like openly acknowledging Paramount Pictures? It's all Paramount Studios and everything, and... Sheldrake is a Paramount Studio exec. Um, I don't know. I mean... You think there it, were other movies doing that? It could be, but I think there were probably other movies about Hollywood okay. prior to yeah, this. Yeah, that's probably true. Max, though, learns the truth while Norma is with DeMille and Joe is with Betty. Gordon Cole merely wants to rent Norma's unusual car. It's this 1929 Izada Frascini for an upcoming film. And what's the backstory? They just like happened to be like driving by there and saw it? No, Cole had seen it when Max first delivered the script to Paramount. Oh, okay. And gotcha. found out yeah. who it belonged to and then started calling about it. Right. At about the time that... Oh, they were expecting... Yeah, that Norma was thinking DeMille. someone was going to call about the script. DeMille tries to at first, but then ultimately can't bring himself to burst her bubble, which... Is one of those things where you don't really know what the right thing to do is. I know. It's just sad. You know that like you're just contributing to this delusion by not shutting it down, but you can't bring yourself to be the person to Well plus it's like it could lead to a suicide. (laughs) Like legitimately. Well, yeah, I always like thinking about stuff like this when it ultimately all builds to something and you're like thinking about the perspective of those characters that encountered her leading up to this. And you're like, you hear a couple days later that she murdered some guy at her house and you're like, Oh no. It's like when I'm like, what do you mean? No one listens to the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. We're both kind of Norma Desmond's in in the podcasting (laughs) world. Yeah. Also Max at the same time. We never had any fame though. So we're actually even sadder. (laughs) We're just delusional about our first run of trying to be known. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to be known. (laughs) That's podcasters in the community. 
Norma slides further into her fantasy now because nobody shut it down at Paramount. So now she's almost like taking it to the next level. She starts yeah, this pre- is kind of nuts. Preparing for this imagined comeback with all of this skincare regimen. Like whatever that would have been in like the 50s. Doing all of this stuff to try to look better and look younger and just expecting to be on camera soon. But Joe starts sneaking out at night to oh, work yeah. on this script with Betty. I did think it was funny when Betty was like trying to convince him to do it, and she's like, I can literally do this whenever you want. <laughs> yeah. Six o'clock in the morning, right. all night, I'm at your disposal. It and was, I love that you know, like, it was kind of sexual. Artie is like going to be in Arizona for a month. Yeah, she was she's, really laying it out there. Right, like, she's like, he's gone, I'm available. Come get me. Yeah, days, nights, <laughs> weekends, whatever. I think by this point, Joe has realized that Norma is taking up nothing but time and is going nowhere. And she hasn't even really been giving him cash. He's just provided with a place to stay. Get some nice, like, He gets all these clothes and all these gifts, and he has food. Gold cigarette box or whatever. But it's not going anywhere. He knows the script is terrible. He knows that she's delusional, and he's not in love with her like she is with him. Yeah. And I think he's clearly getting more and more into Betty. I mean, why wouldn't he? Yep. Come on. And one night when they're working together, they go for a walk through the abandoned studio lots on the different sets and everything. She tells a really weird story about getting a nose job, which I was like, what? I was kind of blown away that that was a thing. I mean, I I guess... Yeah, I know. I was thinking that too. It does seem kind of shocking. I mean, I guess it makes sense, but the fact that they would even talk about it in a movie, though, even seems strange. Well, that's the thing. I mean, obviously, we talked about E.T. recently, and like, there's all the stories about Drew Barrymore and like what she went through as a kid and stuff. But to think that they were putting kids through this in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, how old was she supposed to be when she got a nose job? Yeah, I know. That's nuts. That's like those parents should be like shot. At night, when he returns back to the mansion, Joe is discovered by Max as sneaking out. And this is when oh boy, Max starts yeah. revealing all kinds of crazy shit. And this is where the movie it takes gets real dark. Dark turn, yeah. <laughs> he tells Joe that he discovered Norma when she was 16 and made her a star. And that he, Max, a director. was once a respected young director and directed boy, all of... turn his life has taken norma's early films and this is again one of those meta moments because eric von stroheim who plays max was a director and also directed gloria swanson in a silent movie wow so there's a connection there and then of course he just dun 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 moment where he says and i was her first husband (laughs) he's just sort of stuck around ever since well, he found life to be unbearable after she left him. Which and you get this. He basically yeah. entered a life of voluntary servitude for her <laughs> just to be at her side, it's I like, guess. Ana de Armas is like just really down on her luck. <laughs> and like you date her for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, whatever this is, I'll do it. <laughs> she comes to her senses eventually, you know. She, right. She and regains it, her sight. Yeah, and it's just like you can buy this. Like you, you would then spend the rest of your life. <laughs> Just being like a butler for (laughs) Yeah. Zach, go get the car. (laughs) Norma finds Betty and Joe's script and basically has a meltdown about it. And the next night, it becomes clear that Betty is now also into Joe, despite her engagement to poor Artie. Seriously, I think if anything is lost here, it's just like, Jesus. 
you go I to guess, Arizona. That's right. You yeah, take that you risk. Leave her by herself. I guess he did start to think that after a while because he's just like, come, come to on, Arizona. get down yeah. here. They have a big passionate kiss. It seems like things are coming to a head. We know we're on a collision course now. Back at the mansion, Joe faces the facts about his situation. Yeah. After I guess he realizes, he just, like, knows he's a bad guy at this point. Well, he realizes, like, how, what am I going to ever tell this innocent girl, Betty, about what I've been doing? Because, again, I mean, the implication is... I've been banging is, this old lady yeah. against my will. <laughs> <laughs> the word that we're not saying is gigolo. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's basically become a gigolo at this point with an older woman. He's, he's her like Richard Gere. paid companion. They don't ever say it, but there's a sexual implication because he's staying in the house and they seem to have some sort of a romantic thing now. And it's just really gotten beyond his control. He doesn't really know what to do. Yeah. Norma, after finding that script, is now ratcheting it up another notch. And oh, she yeah. starts calling Betty and she insinuates a lot <laughs> over the phone. Which about all, yeah, what kind of a like man Joe is, but she doesn't really get too specific. Been a decent amount of phone calls that Betty's roommate has been getting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it was mostly while they were working together on the script, but I don't know. I guess from Norma's perspective, she doesn't really know where they're doing the script or where they're working, where all oh, this sure. is happening, yeah. what's happening exactly. But Joe overhears the phone call when Norma actually starts talking to Betty and Joe grabs the phone and tells her the address to come see for herself. This is where he just starts acting insane. I'm yes. not really sure why he's melting down. This and it art. feels like sort of unnecessarily being cruel to Betty throughout. This. I, yeah. But I think he's doing that to just push her, away. push her away. Like get out of this. Yeah. Just go back to Artie. Pretend like this never happened. It was like that first date from the graduate. <laughs> Norma reveals that she got a gun to kill herself, but couldn't go through with it. Okay. So that's out there. Yeah. And she even goes Max and gets it at one point. not trying to do anything about this? When Betty arrives, Joe pretends he is satisfied being a gigolo. <laughs> He's taking her around, showing her stuff in the house, and acting like it's really great, and this Although is the life that he wants. Although there seems to be like some sarcasm in it, though, too. Yeah, it's a little over the top, but I mean, come on. Do you think Betty's picking up on stuff no, like that? She so. just is like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Yeah. Who's Norma Desmond? Which I do love her solution to this is you're going to come back with me. We're going to pretend like this never happened. Yeah. And we'll never talk about it again. <laughs> People were really willing to just bury everything yeah. back then. Just <laughs> right. like act like this never well, happened. No, yeah. Like no Instagram accounts. <laughs> There's no proof. Right. Betty is humiliated, though, and leaves in tears. And this is finally the spark to force Joe to just end it all with Norma and be like, oh, I yeah. got to get out of here. This is too fucked up. I got to blow this whole thing up. The packing starts. It's back to Dayton, Ohio for old Joe. That's right. I love that that's the solution. <laughs> he, well, what else is he going to do? Yeah, yeah. He basically submarined his whole career to spend this time with her. And now if he's leaving and he just had a co-writing script with Betty, but that's not obviously going to be anything now. So he doesn't really <laughs> yeah. have any other options. He has no car. He probably doesn't have that apartment anymore, even though I think Max had paid the three months he was behind, but I'm not really sure how much time has gone by that he's been at the mansion. So sure. just doesn't seem like he has that option anymore either. Norma takes the gun out. Sleeping on Artie's couch might be uncomfortable, given Betty's in the other room. Yeah, well, that could be a sequel. Yeah, that's but true. Unfortunately, <laughs> Joe doesn't make it. <laughs> doesn't make it to the sequel. Norma's threatening to kill herself. She's really just going all out. And in his anger, Joe just starts dropping all kinds of truth oh, bombs. No. He's like, look, 
you stupid idiot. There's no comeback. Your fan mail is fake. You're forgotten. This is not real. You're not a star anymore, and no one cares. And she just is, like, completely in denial. And this seems to be the final push over the edge of no return now. Yeah. Because it's too hard sometimes to be confronted with reality when you're Absolutely. that far into I the think, delusion. You know, we can certainly relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then, whenever whatever bot makes our play count oh, yeah. look respectable, <laughs> it stops working, and then we see like no one actually listens to this. It's <laughs> it's a lot to take. We're like, people care about our top ten list. <laughs> you know what? It's like, as long as like even one person listened, I'm like, yeah, well. Hey, I just listen. like to make a top 10 list. Absolutely. You I would doing, do it anyway. Yeah, you were doing it before the podcast. <laughs> this is kind of like when Max starts revealing everything. <laughs> you start revealing all the weird, sad stuff that I do, that I've been doing for years. You would just like send just me your top 10 list. <laughs> You're like, you've been doing this podcast way before we started recording them. <laughs> well, that's kind of true. See? You didn't believe me. Now I suppose you don't think I have the courage Oh, sure, if it would make a good scene. You don't care, do you? But hundreds of thousands of people will care. Oh, wake up, Norma. You'd be killing yourself to an empty house. The audience left 20 years ago. Now face it. That's a lie! They still want me! No, they don't. What about the studio? What about DeMille? He was trying to spare your feelings. The studio only wanted to rent your car. Wanted what? DeMille didn't have the heart to tell you. None of us has had the heart. That's a lie. They want me. I get letters every day. You tell her, Max. Come on, do her that favor. Tell her there isn't going to be any picture. There aren't any fan letters except the ones you write. That isn't true. Max! Madame is the greatest star of them all. I will take Mr. Gillis's bags to the car. You heard him? Norma, you're a woman of 50. Now grow up. There's nothing tragic about being 50. Not unless you try to be 25. You're the greatest star of them all. Goodbye, Norma. No one ever leaves a star. That's what makes one a star. Joe! 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 Joe heads out of the house. And once outside, Norma shoots him twice in the back, and he falls into the pool, and the flashback ends. Yeah. The mansion is now filled with the police and reporters. Norma's lost all sense of reality, just completely gone, doesn't know what's happening, doesn't oh, yeah. really know who these people are in her house. Or where she I is, I was even. curious as to who called the cops. I-, I don't know. I mean, is it just... The gunfire attracted something? It's possible, I guess. Maybe Betty did, unrelated to the shooting (laughs) incident. I have a complaint for people being perverts and degenerates (laughs) and cougars. Yeah. The newsreel cameras are there 
to film the arrest of Norma Desmond, but she believes that they are there to film Salome. Max and the police decide to play along to make it easier to get her to come down the stairs and sort sure. of just move this You're surprised that like along. Max doesn't go a little bit crazier here. What else can he do? I don't know. His world is What's basically What's he going to do ending. now? Yeah. Well, I think he could probably stay there. That's true. He calls out action. <laughs> this was all his long-term plan to get the house? Yeah, he called the cops. He was like, get this crazy bitch out of here. Norma dramatically descends the staircase. It's an awesome shot. She makes a speech about how happy she is to be making a film again. And she says, all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. And sort of moves towards the camera as it sort of... I don't, I don't really know what the right word would be because it's not fades, but it kind of goes all like white. She kind of like blends yeah. into the white. It is something out of a horror movie, really. Oh, yeah. The way she's kind of coming towards the camera with her eyes and like the the come hither look to her but she's like clearly deranged at this point Oof. and yeah, the movie just sure. ends and i definitely think that when people were seeing this in 1950 especially the older stars that had been around for decades at that point i mean i think this probably hit close to home for some of oh, them oh yeah maybe they weren't murderers and that delusional but there was probably a lot of sadness yeah. this last sequence of her descending the stairs just looks awesome though yeah in a way that i don't know it has like an artistic look to it in a way that like i don't know some of the older movies that i've seen doesn't feel like they would go to more i guess unique visuals than you were used to seeing yeah i mean you have to account for people kind of learning the medium and and making films that had sound and and were more closer to the full length feature length that we're used to like an hour and a half plus and dealt with more complex stories but yeah, I mean, d there were certain directors that were developing visual style and becoming the auteurs of their days. By this point, Hitchcock is working and making movies. Oh, yeah. And, you know, eventually, like, Kurosawa in Japan. And, I mean, obviously, starting in the 50s and 60s and 70s, you're going to get tons of great stuff out of France and Italy. But it just takes time. So oh, yeah. a lot of the old movies are very... Sure. Especially the Hollywood stuff during certain periods are, is very square right. and cut and paste and like not that cool and artistic. But different eras in the Hollywood films are more artistic than others. And But Billy Wilder, I mean, it's like a whole sure. other class, really. Yeah. I mean, certainly this is an awesome movie. It's a little bit sad to me that it will, I just went so many years without watching it, but it's certainly something that I'll be revisiting throughout my life now. I mean, I would say that most of the entries on the AFI Top 100, even if maybe not all of them are actually among the best 100 movies ever made, at the very least, you're in pretty safe company for checking them out. Sure. There's movies on that list that I don't really think are that great. I don't want to name check them, but okay. you know what I mean. Like, yeah, not I'm all of them are, are necessarily going to be for you, but a lot of the ones, especially towards the top of the list, I mean it's a pretty safe assumption that there's going to be a lot of value to them. And <laughs> I wish more viewing. people would get into watching some of these old things. Okay, well, maybe if we keep doing them for the show. Yeah, people are definitely taking our recommendations seriously. They're taking a <laughs> yeah. cue from us. They're like, oh, wow, Greatest Moments did Sunset Boulevard. I got to watch it. Well, <laughs> they, listen, there's a couple people. Keith has texted me before. <laughs> I like how you're calling out specific people, <laughs> like most podcasts do. That's right. You know, naming one person. That well, did you know, something. it's like 
some of the people that listen and contribute to the show, they're like, you know, characters. Oh, okay. You know. All right. I got you. So that'll do it. I hope all the ass clowns out there have a happy new year. Should we do some recommendations here yeah, at the end? Yeah, let's sneak them in real quick. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. I'll go first since you went first last time. Okay. Only thing I've really been watching recently, but I am kind of into it, HBO series His Dark Materials. Now, they tried to do a movie series on this. I'm surprised that you're saying this is good. I've been enjoying it. I think it's decent. I haven't seen it, obviously. Yeah, I don't know if it would be for you. (laughs) (laughs) But I was kind of into the idea behind the source material. I I certainly haven't read the the trilogy or anything. but Or any books. Yeah, never. But when they tried to do this the first time, I I was interested in it. The universe seemed kind of cool. And I thought the cast was cool for the the movie series, but it it just it, it didn't take. What was it, which was the was Golden it? Compass is the okay, first yeah. movie. Okay, yeah. All right, I do remember that. I um, didn't see it. Yeah, and the movie w- wasn't particularly well done, but I, I was interested in the material, and I don't know. I I think it's it's kind of cool. We'll see where it goes. Okay, so his dark materials, HBO. Yes. Right. Right. And my recommendation is a movie that really doesn't need to be recommended to people because it, even if it doesn't do as well as they would want all these movies to do, it's still going to be a huge movie. But I'm going to recommend Star Wars Episode Nine. Whoa, okay. Rise of Skywalker. Who I'm sure we'll be doing a in defense of Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> no, I think at some point. I did consider us doing a part three to our Skywalker saga. Give us a second stuff just to talk about this movie, but I don't really want to do it. I can okay. only talk about Star Wars for so long until yeah. you just started losing all faith in humanity. I don't know. I was pretty excited to see the movie, I, and I certainly enjoyed the movie, and, and would recommend as well, but. I am feeling like I think I am ready to kind of move away from Star Wars again for a little while. Just not really because of the movies, but just because of all this shit that's gone around. It seems like you can't just have movies and and people just enjoy them for the space adventure popcorn movies that they are. They take this shit so seriously and really just ruin it. They ruin the fun of this stuff. And if people don't know what I'm talking about, it started with The Last Jedi. We did the in defense of. And it's funny because this movie seems to be like a response to that in a way. And people are kind of criticizing it for that, which is insane. I mean, there's just an endless cycle of what can we criticize something for when these are just silly movies that are mostly aimed at kids. It's just made up fantasy bullshit. It's just supposed to be fun. Well, let's wrap it here. Happy New Year, everyone, and we're looking forward to a big 2020 on the show. Why do you come here? And why? Why do you hang around?
Wouldn't be a lemon party without old Dick. 